knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. So, Ashley, I'm so excited because we are talking to Amy Bird today. I know. I She's one of the guests I've been wanting to have on for a really long time. Uh, and I've, I read her book, uh, Housewife Theologian, I mean, probably like four or five years ago now. And that, that book was really helpful for me just to, like, find finally find theology important, so. So was that like the first Reformed theology book you read? <laughs> I guess that depends on what we would consider Reformed, because I, I had read some Calvinist-type books, but that was probably the first uh, book I read where it really, really showed me that, you know, as a woman, it's, it's a good thing that I know my theology and it's important. Um, this isn't like a man's game or, you know, uh, and I, I think I read it in a time too when I was um, soon to be getting married. So, you know, it was helpful even for that, you know, knowing it's okay to be a wife and, or it's good to be a wife and know a lot about theology. So um, I really enjoyed that book. Um, this is really part of our kind of complementarian ism series which we've kind of called that but you know there's been talk about whether that's the best way to describe what we believe and stuff like that and i think we're going to talk to amy a little bit about that too but this is going to be women in the church we're going to go to our interview with amy and then we'll talk to you again after the interview so we'll be right back this podcast is a member of the bible thumping wingnut network all right welcome everybody to another podcast episode with semper reformanda radio hi welcome to theology gals welcome everyone to the logical belief ministries podcast well welcome to the school of biblical hermeneutics welcome everybody to grappling with theology what is going on guys shine as lights coming at you well welcome to slick answers good evening and welcome to conversations from the port Hello and welcome to Living in the Vine. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, one network. Check them out at BibleThumpingWingnut.com. And we are back with our guest tonight, Amy Bird. We're super excited, and I know so many of you listeners are really excited to have her on. I think probably most, if not all, of our audience is familiar with you, Amy. But oh. for those who aren't, can you maybe share a little bit about what you do and the books you've written and who you are? Sure, yeah. Um, I live in Frederick, Maryland. I've been married for 20 years now just sent our first daughter off to college so that's you know happy sad and happy um, we are members of new hope opc church here in jefferson maryland um, we love the opc we love the church and i'm an author i've written housewife theologian theological fitness and no little women 
and my fourth book coming out is going to be on relationships between the sexes and I believe the title is going to be why can't we be friends so um, I blog over at the mortification of spin.org and I also co-host a podcast with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt called the mortification of spin well, yeah, we're, we're excited about that new book. I heard about that. I think Ashley, you saw something on Facebook that she mentioned. Yeah, it, right? yeah, that's very that's a very interesting topic. We'll be like, <laughs> yeah, we have a brave topic, but um, you know, just in the the evangelical subculture that I'm in as a writer and a podcast mm -hmm. and um, just talking to different people when I go and speak at different churches, there's just a lot of tension. Um, hmm. I think that what's happened is the church has tried hard, which is good, to counter the sexual revolution. However, we've almost, or we have, in a lot of churches, swung the pendulum too far. Mm -hmm. And I think we've actually over-sexualized men and women in the church. So huh. um, what I've found, especially on social media as well, is just um, there's all these crazy uh, extra-biblical rules added on for quote unquote protection. And we should wanna you know, be pure and, and protect our marriages and have good communication with our spouses. But um, I think what's happened is we've lost the meaning of friendship, hmm. which is platonic <laughs> and, and intimate. And um, in scripture, we're called to something even more than friends. We're called to be brothers and sisters because we are, that's our status. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's what I write about. Well, I've literally so never heard someone talk about that. So I'm really excited. It, it was, researching yeah. for the book was really interesting because uh, nobody yeah. <laughs> writes about it. I actually had to like buy some, you know, doctoral dissertations that, you know, they publish and then charge you over a hundred dollars for, wow. you know, on topics yeah. of like Paul's usage of the brother sister language in scripture. Uh, hmm. It's amazing. If you, have looked at the new uh, translation, the Christian Standard Bible. It's really um, an interesting translation. I like it. It's literal, but it's uh, more readable. Mm -hmm. And um, they use that Greek word that we keep reading brethren all the time, you know. But really, there was no word for siblings to use. And the word actually means from the same womb. And so they translate it properly as brothers and sisters. And hmm. See it when you're reading the New Testament. You cannot believe how many times we are addressed as brothers and sisters. And a lot of times it's when Paul and Peter and Jesus are teaching us how to treat one another and look at one another and love one another. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about the fact that you host a podcast with yes. two men and how I can see, you know, if someone takes the rules way too far, uh, <laughs> someone might take issue with that even. But, oh, my goodness. You know, yeah. When I first came on, when they first invited me on the podcast, um, we immediately clicked and hit it off really well. We have kind of a really good brother sister dynamic. And, um, we got some pushback from you know some people that we respect. Mm -hmm. I was shocked, and it it put tension in there, then <laughs> that wasn't there, about this you know this woman and is it really appropriate for you to be talking casually with her about theology and and having fun? <laughs> you know that, that might be a bad idea. So um, you know I've really had to think through those things. My husband's a school teacher. He works with a lot of women. Well, now he's, he's in administration now, but he still works with a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I've been married for 20 years, so we've had to really talk about that topic a lot. Well, I'm glad. I'm looking forward to that. Now, most recently, you uh, released No Little Women. Mm -hmm. uh, six months? Eight months? How long ago did that um, come out? Yeah, it was beginning of December. Okay. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why why you wrote that? What What, you know the message you're trying to get across? Sure, yeah, so No Little Woman was was written to help kind of raise awareness in the church. I didn't, it's written for women, but it's also written for church officers. I'm really, my hope was that a lot of pastors and um, elders would read No Little Women, and there's questions at the end of each chapter that I hope that they would uh, discuss with their session and maybe with the women in their church. But um, I kind of start the book off um, 
quoting from Second Timothy three six through seven, um, Paul had just warned Timothy about the false teachers that are creeping into the church, and you know to beware of them and um, how ungodly they are. And then he says, "For among them are those who creep into households and capture." weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And that scripture has always jarred me a little bit when I read it. Uh, I don't like to be called weak. <laughs> and I wanted to know more about who is this that Paul is referring to? Um, is this all women? Um, are women more susceptible than men? You know, why is he particularly warning Timothy about these weak women being targets for false teachers in the church. And so as I looked into it, I know I found that the Greek there translates little women. And that was actually a, a well-known term of contempt about a certain type of women. And they were the middle-class women. Um, and they were targets because they were idle. You know, they weren't working. Um, they had time. <laughs> so for these false teachers to you know, to listen to what they had to say. And, and they had a lot of influence in the church. So um, this was a, a strategy by Satan himself, really, to infiltrate the church with bad theology. And it was to go through the back door of the women's ministry, we could even say. And so what I have noticed with my writing and all the wonderful people that I get to meet and the wonderful churches I get to go speak with, um, you know, these women are under good, solid preaching, but I inevitably get in conversations with women about the disconnect between the good preaching that they sit under and the quality of learning in the women's ministries. Mm. Um, the training that the women get a lot of time and just that a large percentage of the church, of the women in the church are reading books that really are full of error full of theological error. So um, I kind of do a whole chapter in that book too, just kind of opening the doors to what the marketing is like in the Christian book industry and the bestsellers. A lot of them are written by women to women and they're just full of bad theology and it's really disconcerting. So I was hoping to kind of open the eyes of women and church officers that, you know, this is what, your women in your church are targets for, for this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot going on in this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you've, already, you've already kind of touched on it, but like, what are, I guess, some other challenges like women face? Yeah. Like just being in the church, like they're targets of this book industry that sells them bad books, but mm -hmm. what are some other things? Well, a, a big challenge that I talk about is especially in um, complementarian, what we call complementarian churches, which I'm a part of, that believe that, um, you know, we, we see the, bib the biblical faithfulness to scripture would be that only certain men are ordained as church officers. So in order to protect that, I think often, well, the women's ministry sounds like a great idea, right? To have this women's ministries. And we see that women wanna learn. We see that they like to get together in Christian fellowship. And then uh, church officers might notice, okay, well, here's like one or two women who have some leadership qualities. They have a lot of passion for God's word. Um, they have a lot of influence in church. So we'll go ahead and, and we'll appoint them to be kind of the leaders and maybe they'll start leading some Bible studies and some events. And what I see too often happening is that the women's ministry kind of becomes an entity of itself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those women aren't equipped well, like I said, to, to be able to lead a Bible study well. Um, and so it's kind of unfair to put them in that position then. Um, and bad theology can seep in that way, but also just we're kind of downplaying the role of the, the pastor hmm. and, the, and the shepherding role there. And the church officers, sometimes when, we, when the women's ministry starts to subvert the ministry of word and sacrament, and um, these women leaders often become like their means of grace in a certain way instead, hmm. and they substitute for that. And um, so I was just hoping to maybe get a better look at how that could be organized in the church so that the women weren't always off 
as a sidekick ministry, but they were integrated well into the church and that any women's ministry or women's initiatives, I like to call it, um, would be a product, you know, the fruit from uh, the ministry and our means of grace of, of word and sacrament. So that's a big part of the book. I think a lot of times when we talk about women in the church, the focus is what women can't do. Right. You know, we agree. Women are not called to be pastors. Mm -hmm. But what ways can a woman serve in the church? How does what you're talking about, How do, what does that look like, I guess? Is right. And, and I mean, I have a whole chapter on... Um, even men learning from women <laughs> with a question mark and just all the times that we see that in scripture. Um, I like to use Hannah's prayer and Mary's song as a huge um, example of how we all learn you know, beautiful theology from women in scripture. Um, but also just the role that a woman plays in God's household. Like there's so many different ways that every lay person, you know, all the lay men who aren't ordained or church officers. I mean, we're talking about what, 95, 98% of the church here, not even just women. But if we have a better view of the role of the ministry, I think then we can talk more about the functioning in God's household. And, and what I do is I, um, I borrow a translation that uh, jo Jonathan McKinley used at an ETS meeting. He read a paper on God as Azer and woman as Azer. And so he's using this word that is translated in Genesis as helper, you know, that Eve was made to be a helper. And he kind of, he says, well, you know, this is an accurate translation, but you know, language changes over the years and we use this word helper now and it has an inferior connotation to it. And it's not even something that um, is absolutely needed a lot of times when we use the word helper or when we hear the word helper. Um, so he suggests the translation of necessary ally. So ally would be the literal translation and, and necessary is kind of like a qualitative word added there to just show all these times that uh, God uses this word to describe himself in scripture is a correlation. You know, he's doing that on purpose when he uses that word to describe woman as a strong rescuer and a strong ally um, in scripture. And it's a necessary ally. So um, I do have a whole chapter on what should we be doing then. And I kind of outlined seven different ways borrowing from his talk and just expanding on it about how women are necessary allies to men in the ministry. Hmm. And there's a lot of different ways. Yeah, and I know a lot of our listeners have actually read your book already. Mm -hmm. And you touched on something, and this is actually when when we started the complementarian episode, this was something several women say, can you talk about this? And I think you're a great person to ask this to. And you kind of mm -hmm. touched on it is, can women learn from men? And I know that we have listeners, there are people on our network who would give a no, never to that. And I know that there was some controversy. I saw that not very nice post in a certain Facebook group where you were criticized <laughs> for speaking yeah. at a conference and this is really something and there's people you know that i respect on both sides of this mm -hmm. absolutely Can women and, and i will tell you there there are people when i put our podcast on youtube there <laughs> are a few guys who go and put thumbs down on all of our videos and i had to turn off commenting because they would come on and say that ashley and i should not have a podcast yeah, like women, women towards women even, but right, like women shouldn't be talking about theology, like it's like off limits. And so thumbs down. We I mean, we kind of giggled at it, right? Yeah, we didn't take it too seriously. But right. it does, it does kind of show what Colleen is getting at where people have taken this, like, like you mentioned earlier, we affirm that only men are pastors and elders, mm -hmm. but they, they take it, um, too far to mean right men, men can't ever learn anything from women well and i mean we aren't to teach authoritatively from the pulpit 
you know, when uh, Paul is telling this to Timothy, I mean, he's talking about a real difference in authority in that type of teaching. And it's the authority of proclaiming the word of God, you know, in a way that, you know, we are sitting under that during a worship service. And, um, and, and there's an authority in the office as well of, of a pastor and his teaching shepherding role. And, you know, I want to hold that up high. And in the book, I really hold that up high. And I think that that then gives us the freedom um, to, to see then how that overflows into the fruit of the ministry within the church. And just the regular dynamics between men and women and the small groups and the Sunday schools and all the different things. And people are going to take some different positions on that. But um, I think that my position really protects the office and, and the worship service as well and distinguishes that. And I think that's, that's very important. And I mean, let's just get real. We're kidding ourselves. We're absolutely pretending if we say that men don't learn from women. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Men learn from women all the time. So, and you see in a lot of those, those settings where they are very hyper authoritarian and hyper submission teaching, and they won't allow women to, to, do any formal teaching at all in the church, even to other women sometimes. Um, what you see is a lot of manipulation happening in those, those churches of what, what's happening sometimes because women are, they're teaching. Mm -hmm. Women have a lot of influence. I mean, I quote Charles Spurgeon when he was doing a, a wedding ceremony and he says to the husband, you know, you're, you're the head of your household. And he looked at the woman and he said, now don't you ever try to be the head. He said, but you're the neck <laughs> and you can turn the head whichever way that you would like. And I mean, it's kind of funny because we know that to be true. A woman can be very manipulative and divisive if, if she wants to. And, and, you know, I call for, for honesty and true submission to God's word. And um, I think that gives us a lot more freedom. Hmm. Yeah, I like that you say we can hold that office, hold the office of pastor and elder very high and at the same time recognize, I don't know if it's like a a less restrictive view of women. I'm not sure if I'm wording that correctly, but I I think it seems like people sometimes are saying either you hold, you hold the um, position of pastor very high or you think women are able to teach men um, right. some things, you know, in other other circumstances. But I feel like you're giving us a more balanced view. Well, and, you know, the interesting thing is these same churches sometimes that are very uh, hyper authoritarian about that. Um, I'll do some retreats sometimes. And it's amazing how many times I'm invited, even in conservative reform churches to speak at a weekend long retreat that includes Sunday morning. And mm -hmm. I have to say every time, like um, I'm happy to do Friday and Saturday, but I want to be home Saturday evening so that I can go worship with my family. And um, I could never replace uh, what a preacher can give you <laughs> in your mm -hmm. church on Sunday morning and the means of grace that you are called to um, in your church on Sunday morning, like being in a, in a hotel room or a bed and breakfast or wherever it is, you know, retreat center, um, with me standing behind, you know, whatever is not, that's not what God calls us to do on Sunday morning. So it's like, sometimes I see a very low view of the ministry, even while mm -hmm. upholding this hyper, um, authoritative view of women being able to teach or not. Like a, you're saying like a low view of the means of grace and just yes. how important that Sunday mm -hmm. worship and, is. And I wonder, is it a low view of the means of grace or is it a low view of the women in the church? I don't know which one, you know. Hmm. You know, I recently, went, <laughs> right, I recently went to a OPC women's retreat. I've talked about it on here before. And we had this wonderful woman who taught Friday and Saturday. And then our regional home missionary drove out on Sunday and he preached um, and you know, it was like a real blessing just to hear him preach. And 
I don't know. I felt like that was a really good way to do it because people had to come from like really far distances just to come to this retreat, you know, and just it was good to, you know, we were able to sit under a very talented woman teacher on Friday, Saturday, and then, you know, regional home missionary came, he came to preach on, on Sunday and it seems like a good balance, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of a meeting in between. You're getting the preached words still, mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's something about the brother sister dynamic too on Sunday morning that I, I just really yeah just love and appreciate and we're called to that. And so it's, it's certainly good if somebody's willing to come and preach to you and you're far away, then that is definitely extenuating circumstance. But right. Yeah. As a regular, I would recommend, you know, that the retreat would call people to their church on Sunday morning then. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let's see. So, um, why would you say that like biblically, like one of the things you mentioned is like you spoke at, you spoke to some pastors about helping women in the church. I think you had, there was a conference where you spoke. Oh yeah. Right? Okay. So where I was slaughtered mm -hmm. on that Facebook thread. Yeah. Like <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah. I saw there and I love that you just jumped in there. Like, why would you say that, um, like that's okay biblically to to speak okay so yeah I was invited to come and speak at a pastor's conference called the Shepherds Conference I believe and um, I was asked particularly to speak on the topic of equipping women in the church mm -hmm. and I was honored to be asked to to come and speak I think that um, since women make up more than half the church that um, it's wise for men for pastors to listen to a woman's perspective on what is going on on that in that issue in their church and I really came to even plea with them in a way too um, to really be involved in w women's initiatives in their church and uh, so yeah on the, the I was one of four wait one two three yeah four speakers and they the rest of them were men and um, I was also invited once to speak at a presbytery, which was also a very unique and and um, encouraging experience. And then I was invited to speak at an RTS class on preaching, and the topic was preaching to women. So um, this would have been my third time speaking um, to a, a mostly male audience. Women wives were invited to this conference as well, so there were women there as well. But um, so yeah, on the Facebook thread, and, and, and I think it was a pastor who started it, saw the flyer, and I will say, PNR had my picture bigger than, <laughs> than the men's pictures. That was, I had nothing to do with that. I thought that's strange and odd. But, um, you know, he had said that, okay, well, this is wrong. Here's a woman coming to authoritatively speak to pastors, and I was accused of being ungodly and immodest, like name throwing was, you know, right oh. away going on. And, um, you know, a lot of people stepped in and defended me before I even noticed uh, the post. And, and I think there were one or two other people who were really against it. But um, a conference is, is not at all the same as a worship service. Um, in a worship service, we have a call to worship we have, you know, confession, lament. We have the whole liturgy going on here, um, singing praise songs and lament songs and absolution. And we have the Lord's Supper and baptism and benediction. Um, so I, I find it odd that we treat conferences at the same level as worship services. I mean, these men, they're not... Um, caretakers over our souls. You know, they're not our elders. They're not um, accountable in that way to us there. Um, they're flying in, <laughs> giving a talk and, and flying back home. So um, I think it's dangerous to confuse a conference and uh, mix that up at the same level as a worship service. I do think that then downplays the ministry, the ministry of word and sacrament that we are given in our local church. Um, and it kind of puts it on equal ground and that's wrong. Mm -hmm. But um, interestingly in that Facebook thread, 
when I commented, and I was a little bit tongue in cheek when I said this, but they took it seriously. <laughs> um, you know, I just said I was honored to be invited to talk about that topic with pastors, but that um, no, I wasn't coming to tell a bunch of pastors what to do. You know, I wasn't <laughs> planning on speaking authoritatively to them in that way. Um, just not based on what my own research is and my own experiences. And he said that he was happy with what I said, that I wasn't coming to, <laughs> to uh, boss a bunch of pastors around. <laughs> so I was like, Did, you know, that's odd that somebody would think that that's what I wanted to do. But yeah. Yeah. So you think people are mixing up kind of what's authoritative speaking, which yeah. would be like on Sundays and what's not. Right. I mean, when I go to a conference, I don't want to take everyone's, you know, I don't want to sit there and, and take all that in like it's. Uh, the authoritative word to God to me, <laughs> you know, um, and I was received very well at the conference and um, very happy to see the questions asked afterwards and the engagement and what I said and the um, eagerness of pastors to um, go back to their churches and talk about these issues more. Hmm. And you mentioned that it's valuable just, just to have pastors hear from women about mm -hmm. what, you know, their needs or just their thoughts on things and right and, and really lay important. people in general you know it's yeah. also valuable for them to hear from lay men um they need to be able to connect with their congregation and they need to know what their needs are and they also need to know what they're facing in the outside world and mm -hmm. um you know unfortunately in the outside christian subculture as well mm -hmm. so those are things that i talked about I love that you point women, you know, in your book to the local church, to being under the authority of your own pastor. Right. So I love that. And I have seen some extreme, even in reform circles and mm -hmm. even in PCA and OPC, actually, mm -hmm. um, of how uh, women are to be silent and not exercise authority over a man is is interpreted we visited a church and the pastor told i have four sons and they're 14 to 21. okay but the, this pastor told us that his his wife doesn't teach their children or discipline her the boys after they turn 12. and i mean it, so wow that's that's an ex an extreme example but that is the way some people are interpreting mm -hmm. that so when it talks about a woman not exercising authority over a man mm -hmm. and not teaching how are we to understand that based on what we're talking about here because that's the verse that you know a lot of people I think have a hard time understanding what exactly does that mean yeah I've, I'm so confused at or by this kind of um, hyper patriarchal teaching and I have also been um, subjected to it in some different settings and I was once confronted um, because my kids are in public school and um, you know it was a moral issue <laughs> and um, kids in public school too. and so I got the whole theology you know I, um, I learned the whole theology behind that and um, I find it sad because okay these women were were expected to have a lot of kids and um, to homeschool them. And I thought, well, if you are leaving your child's education mainly under the care of your wife, um, wouldn't we want to equip her well, you know, uh, in everything that she's teaching and also as a teacher? Mm -hmm. And um, I have my youngest is 12 and he's my, my only son. And then I have an 18 year old and a 15 year old. And I just, you know, to be quite frank, teenagers, you know, me and my husband have to say a lot of times, we got to remember teenagers are stupid. <laughs> dumb stuff. They have a lot of maturing to do still. So I find that pretty scary to, to have a 12 year old have authority over his mother. Like that blows my yeah. mind. Yeah. And I, I, I don't understand the view of women there at all that that is teaching and um, it's very scary to me. Hmm. Yeah, and those verses, just to kind of clarify, are talking about in the context of the church, mm -hmm. the context of worship. Worship, right. right. And 
nowhere do I see any calling for a 12-year-old to have authority over his mother. <laughs> I've never heard of anything like that. That's I want my 12-year-old to fear me. <laughs> right. I want my 21-year-old to fear <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's so odd to me that, you know, um, I have a husband. I have pastor and church elders. Like, I understand um, the responsibility of being a head of a household and the importance of submitting to that and helping them there as a necessary ally um, and not to subvert their role. But um, this teaching that all women are to be subjected to all men's authority, it's completely unbiblical. Mm. Yeah. And, and I've come up against it in the, so many different times in ways that have really shocked me. Mm. And it's it's sad. And, and and unfortunately, the emails I get and the, the women I talk to, it, it, it's just a ripe environment for abuse. We had Rachel Miller on um, okay. about eternal subordination. We talked a little bit about that, that this view that all women are subject are under all men. Hmm. You know, and some of the damage that that has caused. And we've uh -huh. seen it firsthand. We were in a PCA years ago that started to embrace Doug Wilson and patriarchy. And, uh -huh. and we were, and this is, this is mid nineties. So this was oh. before a lot of people knew who he was and before he was uh -huh. really popular. And my husband, thank, thank the Lord for my very wise husband, just very uncomfortable with some of this stuff. But I think some of that is actually attractive to some, some young women. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I think it was attractive to me even when I was a young, mm -hmm. young wife. Well, I think, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that as well. And maybe I'll start sounding too much like a feminist when I bring up Disney movies. <laughs> but I mean, there is this kind of damsel in distress mentality that little girls are uh, grow up with around them. And, and you know what, it doesn't take a lot of responsibility to, I guess, just not have to think for yourself. But mm -hmm. I don't think that you're being a helper that you're called to be for your husband. If you're not a thinking one. Hmm. I mean, we're supposed to be sharpening them. Yeah. And so I, you know, I would say that men ought to learn from women, not, not just that they can. Yeah. And uh, that's part of being a necessary ally. Um, we're to study God's word together and sharpen one another in that. And I want to be a good conversation partner for my husband. Mm -hmm. um, we had, we had one question from a woman in our group. It's the last question we had. Um, she said that, uh, Many of us experience backlash when calling out flawed teaching or false teachers by name. Mm -hmm. And she mentions that you you quote some teachers in your book um, and kind of point out kind of their error. Um, have you experienced backlash for sure, doing that? Sure, yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, in the book, I wrote the book after I've had plenty of experience of doing book reviews on the blog and um, in many conversations with people who um, either are reading those kind of books or um, want me, you know, recommend it for me or give it, buy it for me. And um, what I try to do in my book reviews is also help te teach people how to read with discernment. And, and in that kind of way, you know, I, I don't want to insult anyone who has read and liked and, and even benefited from some of those books. Um, I don't want to insult the author personally, you know, as a personal attack. Um, what, what discernment is, it's separating the truth from the lies, you know, the good mm -hmm. from the bad. Um, and I try to show a process of how to do that in a chapter in my book on how the best way, you know, just give you some tools to read with discernment and uh, some questions to be asking while you're reading, to be an engaged reader. And um, so I talk about the difference between first order doctrinal issues and second and third. And, um, you know, what is the author saying about God and, and who he is and what he's done? What is the author saying about man? What is the author saying about the gospel or scripture? And, and then I did make the decision to go ahead and put some excerpts from bestseller, bestseller books to women and um, with the hopes that 
women will then be able to use this, the skills, the tools that I put in that chapter to discern, um, you know, there's some good parts in there and there's, there's some pretty bad error in there. So um, that's what I'm hoping to help women to do. And in order to do that, I had to use, I had to back up what I'm saying about the bestsellers right. list and I had to use real, real quotes. And um, I tried to do it respectfully, but um, also very firmly like um, this is wrong. So uh, yeah, I get backlash sometimes, but I also get a lot of thank yous and um, how can we talk to people about this better? How can we um, read better ourselves? You know, I get a lot of questions like that. And I've even written a blog, a post called that awkward conversation, I think is what it's called <laughs> of, you know, when somebody tells you about that great book they're reading and, you know, oh, you know, yeah. it's just terrible. And then what do you do? You don't want to insult them or, you know, just kill yeah. their buzz. So, um, and I've definitely said the wrong thing mm -hmm. plenty of times. <laughs> so it, it's helped me and, and I still, you know, I'm, I'm not always confident about the best ways to engage with people on that. And I try to ask questions and, and direct them to something else mm -hmm. um, without being insulting. But um, I do think at this point, it's gotten so bad. And throughout history, it's been like this. Um, we need to, we do need, authors are putting themselves out there publicly for critique. Hey, I've gotten one star reviews on my books. You know, like I know what it feels like when somebody doesn't actually engage with your writing and just calls you names, you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and develops an opinion about you. Uh, that's not the you know good way to review a book. And then I've, I've read critical reviews of my book that books that have been helpful to me um, for my writing in the future or to better communicate. Um, when we write a book and we publish it, we should expect that. So um, it's nothing personal. It seems like that's also a good reason why women need to know their theology too, so that they can. Oh yeah. Because I remember when we were talking to Rachel Rachel Miller about the whole ESS thing, I was like, oh my gosh, I read a book, you know, four or five years ago, and this is totally what it taught. But four or five years ago, I didn't know. You know, I didn't. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to discern that or how to I, same identify with me. that. I so. stepped my toe in the ESS stuff at first too because um, I remember reading it before, thinking something's weird here. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't. I wasn't aware of an actual teaching, eternal subordination of the sun. You know, mm -hmm. and thank goodness for Rachel Miller to come out the way she has um, and the writing that she has provided, um, not just for women. Um, yeah. And I wish more more and more men would support her because she has been excellent in calling that out for what it is. She's very discerning and mm -hmm. very clear in her writing. So this is, since this is our complementarianism episode, and I think this is something that um, some women have been at. We had a, a girl come in our group and there was a post about complementarianism and she came in and said, I'm not a complementarian. And so, you know, right away, I think the assumptions are she's an egalitarian, but she said complementarianism isn't consistent with reformed theology. And one thing I'm seeing is talking to her more. She doesn't believe women should be pastors. She's not an egalitarian. But I think what's happening, and I'm seeing it a little bit more, is people don't want to use that word. No, because, I don't. <laughs> because of what it's come to mean, because of some of the stuff out of, you know, Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood become... And, but I don't know that there is a word biblical, I guess. Confessional. That's what I say. Yeah, confessional. Yeah, I'm confessional and it's all in our confessions. Um, yeah. Why I'm so happy to be a part of a confessional denomination. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's important. And yes. uh, what's happened with the complementarianism, hey, that was a great word. <laughs> the, yeah, it the was. Egalitarians first used the word, actually, huh. and kind of stolen from them. <laughs> but, um, Boy, is that a great word. And, you know, I aligned myself with under all that, wanting to be a good Christian wife and um, church lady and all that. And um, I certainly fall in line with, you know, what I believe is the biblical, um, how the biblical upholds male head, headship, the Bible upholds male headship. But um, 
headship was being defined interestingly authority is being defined interestingly and then there's all these strange posts that are just like hyper masculine uh, sanctified testosterone and mm -hmm. and soap bubble submission and you know the more i was reading the more i'm just like this is this has gone like over the top insanity and mm -hmm. i don't follow this teaching the way that they use the word role um all of a sudden i'm realizing that words mean different things than i thought they meant and um Hmm. It's all quite shocking. So I, I have separated myself from that word, um, and I, I prefer to use the word confessional. And it's interesting because as I began critiquing some of those teachings, I was hoping to be like a respectful voice to say, "Hey, let's talk about this." You know, me. Maybe you're, you know, maybe um, we could have a conversation here. I was trying to be a friendly voice, but. Um, what I found is is a really like digging their heels in more and more, and then the ESS stuff was, um, you know, blown out of the waters there, and um, it's sad. So I, that really made me want to distance myself from that wording. And then at the same time, many even our egalitarian scholars and pastors were very supportive, um, wanting the complementarian camp to actually take a more biblical stand on this whole ESS issue, you know, wanting them to give a better witness to Christ as complementarians. And um, I got a lot of encouragement from them, not trying to swing me over to their side at all, just friendly engagement. And I found like, wow, mm -hmm. that's, that was an unexpected result. You know, I made some interesting friends through all that. That's interesting. It mm -hmm. seemed like you guys at Mortification of Spin were almost like the epicenter of, of oh, that well, argument. Were you guys? Because, I mean, is well, that okay, so Rachel fired the first articles about ESS, and I had been aware of it by then. But, you know, Rachel wrote a great article on covering how it's in, you know, uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology and in a lot of books. and um, the era of it and nobody was doing anything with it, you know, and I started writing some stuff and not getting a whole lot of traction. And then I was talking to Liam Gallagher, who is a pastor scholar over at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. And I noticed it taught in another book that just came out and the, the wording was just so blatantly in your face over it and connecting it to then women being eternally subordinate to men. And I mentioned that to him and you know, he's a pastor and he doesn't want this stuff in his congregation either. And, and I'm talking to it with the guys over at Mortification of Spin. And so I invited Liam to write a series on the Trinity and you know, lo and behold, Liam Gallagher writes for me and I post it as a guest post on, uh, housewife theologian and I shared on social media and like Carl said, uh, you know, they just pulled the ropes and the whole ceiling came <laughs> falling down and that's how it all went. But you yeah. know, Kevin Giles, he's an egalitarian pastor who has been, you know, writing books about this for years, wanting the complementarians. I mean, he egalitarians have always thought that was the complementarian position on the Trinity. Hmm. So um, that's another reason why I've distanced myself from that word because it, it actually was being used as the complementarian position and nobody was um, objecting to it then. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. Well, Colleen, do we have any more questions or? Well, you know, I, I was gonna ask you about your new book, be, but we kind of asked you about it, but do you have any idea when it's going to come out? I'm uh, beyond excited, and we want to have you on again when oh, it comes thanks. out. Um, I'm pushing for the spring, but I I'll have to wait and hear back okay. from my publisher still. Um, I just sent in my final manuscript, so fingers crossed for the spring. Okay. But, um, you know, maybe the summer. We're, we're going to keep our eyes open for that. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, and we're so grateful the contributions that you've made. Oh, thank you. Um, because there's not a lot of women writers out there that we can recommend. And so we're just very grateful, you know, to have the books from you out there. And I know just a lot of our gals have, Is I think Housewife Theologian was the first 
theology book that a lot of our gals ever read. Well, no. Ashley even. So, mm -hmm. and I'm encouraged because I'm seeing more and more women interested in theology and understanding theology yes. is helpful in in them becoming discerning. So yeah, I'm, I'm very, very encouraged. And I'm assuming you probably see that too, because you, you're talking to women all the time, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing a lot more women that are just starting? I am, and it's interested? so exciting. I mean, um, I've seen a lot more women, lay women who want to be informed, and, you know, a lot more women filling up the, the Christian colleges and seminaries, you know, wanting to formally even be stronger theologians. So I'm just really excited about, you know, how I'm seeing all that happening because when I wrote Housewife Theologian, I never aspired to be an author and it was just out of my loneliness <laughs> as a thinking Christian woman, really. I was just hoping um, to provide a tool to help women to see, uh, you know, how what they believe about God affects their everyday life and everything they do and how they think. And, and I, you know, wanted to provide this kind of tool for um, discipleship in that way. And so just, it's wonderful to see how the Lord has just called so many women in that way recently and um, how they've been given a great voice in the church now. Hmm. Yeah, we're really encouraged. Well, thank you again, Amy, for coming on and Ashley and I will be right back. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new track just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. Come check us out at TrackedPlanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTPlanet.com, coupon code BTWN. So Ashley, this last week, I don't know if you're aware, I think you probably are because I think I told you. Satan Flowers did a two-hour show responding to our show on Calvin and Cervantes. I am aware and I watched part of it. Okay. It was uh, interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, so I told somebody, so I actually got a letter or let me let me take that back. We got a letter from a pastor who said some things and I'm going to, and just to rep, just to say both views, I'm actually going to read part of what he said. Are you saying we um, got mail? Our, our podcast yeah, got mail? Well, we do, wow. we do get some mail. Yeah. Okay. I gotta yeah. find, oh yeah, here's the, so, um, you know, he says, I don't disagree with your assessment that too many people overjudge Calvin and Servetus and the survey and Servetus. Okay. So he says he's not, but he was writing to challenge and this really to me, because I'm the one who did the episodes, it's not, even though it was to both of us, mm -hmm. um, it's probably more concerning me since I'm the one that interviewed Tyler, but he challenged our treatment of Dr. Flowers. And he says, I've, I felt like it was pretty clear that the way Tyler portrayed Dr. Flowers was not representative of what he said or who he is. And so I just kind of wanted to, to respond to that because I actually heard I mean, we got a few accusations after Leighton Flowers episode. We got an, somebody said, well, it looks like theology gals don't vet their guests very well, you know, and things like that. And so this is what I wanted to say. What I did respond to him and I said, you know, if you have like, I think it's better you talk to Tyler about that. Um, the, we didn't have Tyler on to talk about Dr. Flowers. The only reason I brought Dr. Flowers up is because Tyler's what Tyler had written was initially in response to him, but to talk about the Calvin Servetus thing. So I just wanted to kind of make that clear. I don't know, Ashley, is there anything you want to add? I, you know, I don't have anything personally against Dr. Flowers. You know, I have had, 
I am very familiar with him. I've I've list, watched him on YouTube quite a bit. I've interacted with him on Facebook. And I do think that he misrepresents our position sometimes. That is been my experience. Um, but other than that, I don't have anything against him, you know, personally. So that's what I would say. Yeah, um, I, I mean, he's always seemed like a pretty nice guy to me yeah. in, from watching his videos. Um, he seems like a pretty nice guy. Uh, I would hope that um, people would see it as disagreeing with uh, his ideas, not um, him as a as a person. Uh, right. That that's what we always want to communicate when we disagree. And if if that's if that's not what we communicated, um, then I you know I guess we would want to apologize for that. But um, I think we were trying to communicate that we disagreed right. with his article, um, right. not not him as as a person. So right. Yeah. So anyways, I just want, I wanted to bring that up. I told, I told him that I would, that I would mention it. He wanted, he said that we should have Leighton Flowers on. And so I'm not going to respond to that at the moment. So Ashley, we have our bad theology of the week and I didn't get any suggestions for what we should call it. Did you? Uh, I got a suggestion. I'm still not sure how to actually use it for okay. the segment, but one of our very favorite theology gals, Jean, suggested uh, if you've ever seen the movie Office Face, mm -hmm. do you know the movie? Okay, it's mm -hmm. kind of a bad movie. I saw it like 10 years ago, but you know, you know the boss character? I don't like the guy with it. glasses. I don't remember it at all. Oh, what's his name? Like Ludeman? I think his name's Ludeman, the boss character, uh, where he's always like comes up and he leans against the cubicle and he's like, uh, can we, uh, like, you know what I'm talking about? That guy. Mm -hmm. So he's always like, like the, the meme that goes with him is always like, uh, can we not do that? And so like, if you see the meme, it's pretty funny. Um, but anyways, that's, I so thought something that was like a, that. Like, can we not can like, uh, can we just not like those, those who have seen the movie and seen the meme will know what I'm talking right. about. Right. So something so. like that, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we'll, 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 we'll come back with a better name next week. Okay. Yeah. Which I think, I, I think that we're not, going going to do one this week and there's something i wanted to mention that i totally forgot to mention in the beginning um instead and this is not a bad theology thing because we're going to wait till next week when we have a name to a for sure name but i forgot to mention ashley this week i i wrote a blog post and a lot of people have read it and for those who haven't read it it is about what i have learned from having an atheist son hmm. and no, it's not something that I know that I mentioned it a little bit on the Mother's Day episode and stuff. And I think it could be difficult to talk to talk about and stuff. But for those who didn't read it, if you are the mother of a prodigal, it's on the website at BibleThumpingWingNet.com. I think if you, there's two things on the website. You can go to the top right and like a thing down or to the, if you're on a, if you're on a mobile device and it'll say podcasts and you can click on Theology Gals there, but our blogs don't come up there. You actually have to go, I think, if you're on a mobile device at the bottom where it says Theology Gals, and then that will take you to both our podcasts and blogs if you're interested in reading that. Uh, and even if you are a mom to, to little kids, because I, I really learned a lot just about grace and parenting and just it's helped me to think through many things. And I have another one. Jean also edits everything for me because I couldn't release stuff if I didn't, if it wasn't edited. And so I gave her another one. I'm going to try to start blogging more regularly now. So um, keep your eyes open for that. And feel free to send us any name ideas for our new segment. If you want to support us on Patreon, that's going to be on the website. And we are still, oh, I have a contest idea. I think we should do a contest for a book. I have an extra book from one of our guests here. I think we should do a contest to win that book for those who call in to our voicemail with a question about complementarianism. Okay. I was trying to think, how can we get people to call in? What do you think about that idea? Yeah, what, what's the number again? So people know what, to, what number to call when- Yeah, okay, so actually that number is 951-407. 
and you can text that number, but for this contest, you have to call and leave a voicemail question. And if you just say your first name, we'll say who won on the episode and you can contact us if you're the winner of that book. Mm -hmm. And it'll be a book from one of our guests and it'll be a surprise. So how about that? Yeah, and sounds like a great idea. And also just to remind you everything, all of our contact information, if you wanna email us, tell us how much you disagree with us on anything, please feel free to do so. And, or if you want to encourage us, we like that too. Um, you can email us at theologygals at gmail.com, but all of our contact information is on the website, biblethumpingwingnet.com. Click on Theology Gals somewhere, go to one of our pages and all of our contact information will be there. So, well, we will see everyone next week.